Play them on top of each other. Yeah, shut up, shut up, right there. When they started picking you up, that's when you shut up. Say sand, we sand on He said sand. <laughs> okay. So I missed that yesterday. And I was not on social media, just clicking and clacking away. <laughs> I was just living my life, right? I, really why I missed it is because March Madness was happening. Mm-hmm. It was the end of the first half of the Michigan State game. And I was... What a game. Yeah, I was upset, as I always am when I have to watch regular season hockey <laughs> in Florida, a state that it shouldn't even be in. So I'm missing Michigan State, Kansas State. I'm watching Noel just be nasty. Throw the, what a play last oh night. Goodness. The fake arguing with the yeah. coach to the alley-oop. To Half Jones. court. Incredible. Beautiful. That kid, what did he have assists? What did he finish? It was 20 with? and 19. God. 20 points, 19 assists. That kid's so fun. He's Pete's yeah. size, and he's out here just dominating. <laughs> I, dimes all over the place. I love it. Anyway, so I missed the anthem, and I come in this morning, and you guys are all giggling away. Tee-hee. That's you guys. <laughs> Tee-hee. And I go, what is happening here? What is going on today in the newsroom? And apparently this anthem singer, who I had not heard butcher it, that's an all-time butchering. Yeah. Um, I'm not one who gets super upset when some mistakes happen, I understand what Canada is to the United States. I, I do. Yeah. I get it. And what is that? A little brother or like? We're the littlest brother. Yeah. <laughs> we're like if the infant they were born in a different country and lived a whole life and then you found out that your dad had a different family and you had a younger brother by... 25 years. You might meet him one day, but you also might not. That's a very far distance. Holy. <laughs> you, know, you, might, you, might not, you know, might never meet him. And that's what we are. It's not even a little brother situation. It's a sizable gap. And for a lot of the United States, they don't think about us at all. They're the Pete. Uh, they're, the, or they're the Don Draper. We're the Pete. Oh. Yeah. Pete Campbell. I know. Oh. I don't think about you at all. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, actually, that's not Pete Campbell in that scene. That's Who that. Is that? Oh no, That's Pete that Campbell young says guy with the mustache. Yeah. Yes, he yeah. says that. No. No, isn't it Pete Campbell? No, no, I don't think so, Jay. No, I am 100% right. This is this is an awesome stat. It's 100%. What are you talking about? That is 100% Don Draper and Pete saying to him, "I feel sorry for you." And he goes, "Don't argue with me. I know I'm right. I know I'm right." I'm 100%. Going to make a little wager about this, but yeah. we won't argue. We won't argue. I will bet you a wager. Okay. If you're wrong, yeah. Well, actually, I don't want you to leave the studio for the whole day. But like, no, you don't get paid I'm today. welcome to leave the studio today. <laughs> yeah, no. I will forfeit my uh, my paycheck. Yeah, no. uh, <laughs> wow, this is a level of, of, in hopes of doubling my paycheck. High, if possible, this yeah. is a high level of confidence that you're going yeah. with this in the scene. Did you pull it up, yeah, Jomo? Big man, man. Yeah, friend. it's it's or the. Man. Don says, "I don't think about you at all." Yeah, in the yeah, show yeah. the picture. Who of that who scene. is he talking to? I'll show you guys the picture. Ooh. Oh, he's right. Oh, he's, he's right. He's right. He's right. <laughs> oh, nice pull. Yeah. You know what, though? That guy is basically a version of Pete. Yeah. He's just, <laughs> he is just him with a mustache, but he's the same. <laughs> they are. Those two guys could stand in front of each other, and you'd think that only one person was there because they're an exact <laughs> yeah. replica of yeah. one another. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, nice pull. Good Thank job. You, you know, it's funny. Mad Men is one of those shows where I've never done a rewatch. 
And I... Some people just adore it, love it. I liked some characters. I really liked some episodes. But it was never a show that fully pulled me in. And I always consider doing the rewatch to see if I'm just more mature and get it more. Mm-hmm. Because it came out when I was in university. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like a lot of me watching it was, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Oh, I definitely get it. Yeah. I know what you guys are talking about for sure. That's yeah, This show... Uh, Brilliant, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think it's it. worth a rewatch, JD. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe I am smarter. Maybe I'm just. It just confirms how stupid I am, though, and maybe that's my fear. Is I sit there and watch it and go, I'm I not getting it. Still, get it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not getting why this is the best show. Oh no, <laughs> this is bad for me. We went off the rails a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we there. did go a little <laughs> off the rails. That's okay. That was fun. Anyway, uh, that anthem singer butchered it. I usually don't care, and this one, I'm not offended by it. I more just. So this guy went on Roz and Mocha, I guess, this morning and explained himself. And what was the tone of Maury's interview? Was it a sympathetic or was this a gotcha? It was a gotcha. He was, uh, oh, there it was, was a gotcha. He got- <laughs> okay. Austin flew in with that yeah. one. <laughs> Maury is the man. I, I really like Maury. He's a good dude. I, I, we've been, uh, he and I have both been in this building, like, grinding away for, I don't even know how long. I, he's one of the first guys that actually would, like, say hi to me consistently when I was, like, an intern. Oh, nice. uh, hustler. Guy has worked his ass off to get where he is. So play his interview with this anthem saying, boy, oh boy. Anyway, play it, play his excuse as to why this happened. Yeah. Um, so I was actually a last minute replacement. I found out two hours before the, the show that I was actually going on and I had two hours to learn the national anthem for Canada, uh, which I was not familiar with before mm-hmm. doing this gig. Um, <laughs> they told me that the words would be on the screen. Oh, they did. Wow. And they were not. So I kind of just panicked and I you know as much as I rehearsed it I panicked and I <laughs> blacked out okay well <laughs> I panicked dude that's so funny that he sang our anthem exactly like you're singing along with a song in the car, in the and then radio, someone turns yeah. the volume down, and you're like, <laughs> you're like, you don't, you don't want to be too loud. Yeah, you're yeah. like mumbling it under your breath. Yeah, the parts you don't know. Yeah. You, you crush the chorus. You're all loud and confident, and then it goes into the second. You're just verse, doing like the tune. Second verse, and you're like, <laughs> you catch a word here yeah. and there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. light. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> party. Yeah, so. That guy. That's how he treated our anthem, but it was no volume down. Stadium full of people. <laughs> it's With like, a mic. It's like maybe they won't notice. <laughs> With maybe a mic. All these Canadians won't notice. Is that the best excuse you can go with? Is I panicked and I blacked out? Um, well, maybe it, blame it on other people. I gotta too. tell you, yeah. kind of blamed it two on hours people. before it's tough because apparently this dude took a mirror selfie. Yeah, he he took a mirror selfie, yeah. just full abs out. Yeah, and said, still trying to learn the the O Canada national yeah. anthem. I don't think that's how you two learn hours it. before the show. I don't, I don't think that's how they teach it in school. Oh, no, he was like, like full flexing go stand, abs out. Go stand in front of the mirror yeah. <laughs> with no shirt on. Take your shirt off. Pop your shirt off. <laughs> And you'll know the Canadian anthem in the next 20 minutes. How to learn the Canadian anthem hacks. Captions it with a full smile. Google that. Do uh, not stand in front anthem. of mirror, pop off tarp, and pop off tarp. come to me in a matter of moments. I think two hours is enough time to get closer than what he did. Two hours is more than enough time to memorize a song. Listen, you're not one to speak. You <laughs> had a butchery this morning of near equal magnitude to this it's guy. by choice. 
Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> so you sit this one out, Austin. <laughs> you sit this one Two out. Two hours to learn you, a song. Yeah, because, yeah, today was tough. We were all rolling in together, and then you, <laughs> we were making fun of somebody for making mistakes, and then you stumbled. We stumbled upon finding out that, yeah, you don't know what the uh, conservative leader's name is. I, I know his name, just whether or not I can say it correctly. Yeah, well, I would say that then you don't know. That's like you you literally are just the anthem guy right now going, I would say I know the Canadian anthem, I just don't know the well, I words. got nervous and I blocked out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Perfect. See? That kind of works. I got nervous and I blacked out. I feel like I'm going to get that text message from you guys a lot now. Whatever you I panicked, mistakes. I blacked out. Yeah, I panicked, I blacked Every out. Every time we make a mistake. I panicked and I blacked out. I, I'm a big... Blacked out. Yeah, I, I'm a big accountability guy, and I would have much preferred if this guy just came on and said, I should have done better. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, well, that would have been like the honorable thing to do. Just because be like, we know you didn't black out because we watched you sing the song. <laughs> you were there. It didn't sound like you were panicking. You just clearly didn't know In the fact, words. I think he did the opposite of panic, which is he went with just full-throated confidence. Well, yeah, full confidence, just he not was, knowing the words. No one will notice. <laughs> Love and sand. <laughs> true, hey, true. I think our anthem's gonna have sand. I don't hate him for not knowing the anthem. But saying sand. <laughs> but no, but just, yeah, the mumble move. Okay, here's what I actually do believe, too. Mm. Why can't you pull the phone out? Yeah, I've never understood that either. I think everyone should just be able to go up with notes. Like, is it better to, would I, would you care? That would have been your replacement too. And like, you don't know. That would have been weird. That would have been, well, like, I'm just saying like, like, I feel like you could get away with it. Here's the thing. (laughs) Today on Liars Who Lie, that guy getting two hours. I'm sorry. There's no way. And also I would be, I'm of the mind that if you only had two hours to prepare for something, if they pitch it to you, that you have some, you have some shame and you go, Hey, I, I don't know the anthem. I'm not sure I can prepare it in time. Is there somebody else that can step in here? Or can, yeah. I, can I use my phone? And the whole, somebody, whoever told him that the lyrics are going to be up on the teleprompter. or the, Not the teleprompter, the, the screen, The screen, yeah. I don't know. Lied. And also, <laughs> th- is that really going to help you if you don't know the cadence of the song? And that dude did zero prep. He read it no. one time, then he was popping those mirror selfies. <laughs> the oh, dude, night. he just looked up the lyrics, he read was, through it once. He and was, was like, texting right. everybody going, I'm going to be on TV. This is going to be so sick. <laughs> Sending ad pictures hey, to people. Hey, everybody, check me out tonight. Hashtag Panthers game. Also check me out on the radio tomorrow. Yeah, after on I the morning show. It. After I butcher yeah. it. When I just get absolutely flubbed. But I thing. insult the entire country. I think that's the worst one that I've ever heard. I think that's the worst one we've ever heard because we've never heard somebody... You know, usually they miss a word or two or they sing it poorly. I, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anybody do the... Brave. The in-the-car move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I get it right. Yeah, the in-the-car volume low. Yeah. You, th- you thought you knew this song better that you, you only know like a word times. here and there. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, uh, good for that guy. Good for that guy doing the tour, taking the... I love, too, that he was like, I'm sorry, Canada. <laughs> yeah. This guy at home is thinking it's a real problem up here. Yeah. <laughs> that people are at work today, like, you know that guy? Screw up our anthem. Let's go get him. Let's get him. <laughs> <laughs> he should be fired from. Meanwhile, most people doing the anthem ever again. He's like, I blew it. That was my one shot. That was my one shot. Anyways, James Myrtle, fresh off his vacation, probably all tanned up. He was down there, actually. He's down in Florida. Uh, managing editor of The Athletic joins me now. What's up, brother? How we doing? How's your vacation? 
It was good. It was good. Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't want to. Uh, the way it wasn't quite warm enough. You know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if you're gonna have any sympathy for me there, but that <laughs> there were some cold days in Florida, which is not what you want. Oh, poor baby. <laughs> oh, poor James. That anthem. That anthem was something, though. I didn't realize he was going on a world tour to explain what went wrong. But he's lucky that that building was 80% Leafs fans, and they could. It was almost like the fans felt sorry for him and wanted to help out. He was, he had it. All he had to do, this is actually his biggest mistake. I didn't even get to this. The crowd starts singing the anthem once they realize he doesn't know what's going on. Shut up. Hold the mic up. You had the out. And then instead he was like, no, this is my moment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he kept screwing it up the whole way along. I I know. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. They figured out very early in him singing that, that, they were going to carry him, and they went, oh, my God, this guy has no clue what's going on here. Don't worry. We'll do it. We'll take it from here, dude. And he just went, no, <laughs> I will be the lead vocalist tonight. And then he finished that and probably I, – I like to picture him stepping off the ice and looking at someone and going, was it bad? <laughs> like, uh did, do you think anybody noticed that I got those for, words wrong? You know, for some reason, the Canadian anthem really trips some people up. I mean, maybe it's just they, it's very unfamiliar to them, but it's sort of, I think, like the cadence and like the kind of like the the sort of the, the way that it is is just, it, it's a lot different than the American one, for one. Sure. It's just, but it is also the easiest song. It, it's the easiest anthem to sing. The only easier anthems are ones with no words. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Canada's anthem, you can have basically any range and you can hit all the notes it's pretty simple. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I feel like you can learn it in a couple of hours. I'm pretty sure that when I was in June, I, don't, I, well, I definitely did this in elementary school, but I'm pretty sure in high school for you guys that didn't want to learn French, you anti-Canadians, the people who are like, nah, we're bailing on this in grade seven or whatever it is that you guys in Ontario have to take nine. French to. Nine? You have to take French until grade oh, nine? It's, it's grade oh. nine, yeah. Yeah, but then you guys are all in grade nine and none of you take it seriously and you're all there and you're like, oh, this sucks. And then, and then the French teacher is so <laughs> choked because nobody will try and you guys won't even give it a halfway honest effort. I went to French immersion, not to brag. Je parle français. Um, but I'll tell you this, you guys in Ontario, shameful, shameful. But I'll show up. At, I remember when I was in high school, I took, I went to English high school and I moved into French immersion and I basically just challenged the exam in grade 12 because you guys are learning what we learn in grade two. You're like on the Bicherelle and you're trying to learn the basic grammar. <laughs> That's it. But one of the things you have to learn in high school is the anthem in French. And I'm pretty sure you can knock that out in French in a couple of hours, right? Like... You can knock that out in one the day. The French one was not that bad, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, exactly. So this guy, I'm sorry, no excuse. All right, that's the end of my anthem talk and shaming of <laughs> Ontario people for refusing when your neighbor is Quebec to learn even a little bit of French. Like, come on, give me something. <laughs> give me give me just a halfway. Can we get the Duolingo? Can some of you just make make amends for any of this? Anyways, James Martin. I was not expecting the guy from the Yukon to shame Ontario with it. Like, the French I had in BC was, it was Good. terrible. Really? It was terrible. Yeah, it was, br- it was brutal. Yeah, well, I don't know. We, I mean, we didn't even start learning French until like grade five or something. But, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm older than you, so it was the dark ages back then. I, like I said, I went to French immersion. I'm, I'm better than you guys. Like, that's the thing. My parents <laughs> went, uh, why don't we make this kid bilingual? And <laughs> that makes for smarter, better kids. They were good. <laughs> Your guys has failed, you guys. It's okay. I'm sure they tried in a lot of other ways, you know? Like, I'm sure they did their best. Anyway, so Austin Matthews is all the way back, huh? Like, he's just a man on fire yesterday. Is this, 
Like everything that's going on with the Leafs right now, nothing matters more than the way that he's playing right now, right? Yeah, and the goaltending too. Sure. I mean, seeing seeing Matt Murray play the way that he did last night was really good too. But yeah, I mean, you know, Matthew said I think it was last week or yeah. a week and a half ago that he feels like he's back, and that the injury that he had was his hand, which makes a lot of sense given the way that he was shooting the puck or not shooting the puck, and how often he was passing or or in you know turning down looks that he he would have easily begged last year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he looks. I mean, the, the second goal last night against Florida. It's like, yep, <laughs> that's that's how Austin Matthews scores goals, and there just haven't been a lot of those instances instances this year. So, um, yeah, it's uh, he's got. I think I think if I got it right, it's six goals, twelve points in the last eight games now, and he's really been turning it on. And you know, I, I think that that's what you want to see. And the other thing too, I. I yeah, I don't have the number in front of me, but they've been dialing up his minutes more too. I mean, he's had some yeah. games lately where it's 22, 23, 24 minutes. I mean, Marner's been playing even more than that, but it's good to see that they're back to, to leaning on Matthews, whereas it felt like they were pulling back on his minutes earlier in the year. Well, that's the byproduct of the 11 and 7, right? Is you have to play those dudes more. Yeah. And they're just, they, they've been ramping up Matthews. It's been coinciding with his best hockey. I, I think you guys actually had the exclusive at The Athletic. I think Jonas had it about the way that he was feeling and getting his confidence back and getting his swagger back. And that, that is the thing to me right now that I've been sort of remarking on pretty consistently is as a whole, I, I don't really love the blue line. The goaltending has been pretty middle tier for me since the deadline. It's been okay in some spots. It's been bad in some spots. It hasn't been as bad as some of Matt Murray's numbers have been, but it also hasn't been great either. Um, the forwards look pretty much fine to me, but the most important thing has been something that you're hoping can be predictive, which is that Matthews and Marner look really dialed mm-hmm. in and that they look really confident. And this is something to me that... I think it's really hard to quantify, so we don't often talk about it, especially in this media era, which is, oh, you can't really discuss this because you don't really know. But from watching with from a body language standpoint and somebody who's seen a million games in a million different sports and is watching a lot of this March Madness tournament where you can see a game last night, right, like Tennessee, where they just fall apart and you're like, this game is over. There's 0% chance that they are going to beat, uh, what was the owl's name? Uh, school name? Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic. You're like, this is done. Matthews and Marner look more mature on the ice. There's something about their comportment, their demeanor, the way that they're playing that has me really confident that you're going to see them elevate or be able to maintain what they're doing right now in the postseason. Yeah, I think that that's fair. And, you know, in defense, we saw some of that in the series last year against Tampa, right? It just, they, they just weren't able to push through in game six and game seven. But I would say, you know, they, they traded punch for punch with Tampa last year in the first round. And I think that that's what we're going to see, but you know, the, the difference is going to be, are they able to to close it out? You know, and it was interesting last night, you know, flipping back and forth with the Tamp game and the senators just completely lit up the lightning. Lightning suck. They're done. They I... don't. Yeah. I, was, that's what I, was, I wasn't going to put it that way exactly, but I was just going to say like, they don't look as formidable as they did last year. So there's an opportunity there. I don't think it's not going to be a cakewalk, but uh-huh. you know, it looks like the Leafs are five points up in them. Now they've got games in hand. It looks like they're going to get home ice. You, you, you got the chance to start the series at home where the, the Leafs have been really good this year. And you know, they just, they just need to, to get it done. Okay. So, so I, I've been thinking about the home ice thing a lot because to me, it's been a really understated story. I get that these things are coin tosses, 
But and and I also understand that Tampa did this last year where their team didn't look very good and they were heading into the postseason and then they were able to flip the switch and turn it on. When I say they suck and they're dead, I obviously am just trolling those fans that think that me saying that matters. It's my favorite is I I love thinking of someone listening to this and going, please don't say that. Right. That's the best. That's so fun of what we get to do here. Yeah. Tampa's going to be scary. That game, that series is probably going to go deep. I do think that Toronto is the better team, but I I was mentioned this yesterday, but I wanted to get into it with detail with you is why do you think we haven't talked about home ice more now? It actually does feel like Toronto is sort of putting them in the rear view that there just isn't going to be enough time and room for that Tampa to make it up. I know they still have one game between the two of them, but you look at Toronto's schedule. It's really hard to see Tampa leapfrogging them now getting six more points than them from here on out, considering Toronto's point percentage across the season. But since the beginning of last season, the top two teams in the NHL in terms of home ice winning percentage, it's Toronto and Tampa Bay. And mm-hmm. yeah, that comes with just being a good team in general, right? Is you're a good team, you're probably going to win the most home games. Those two teams are two of the best five records in the NBA since that time too. But what what is it about this right now that has made this basically a non-story down the stretch? Well, I mean, they've had home ice against Columbus, against Montreal, against Tampa, you know, three straight postseasons in a row, and they haven't gotten mm. it done. So mm. <laughs> I think that that's mm. part of it. That's that's a pretty good point. Hmm. People aren't people aren't that excited about home ice. Like, it's just, it, people aren't that excited about the games right now. I mean, no. like, I was texting with some of my friends who are diehard Leafs fans last night, and I was like, oh, what do you think of the game? They're like, oh, I'm not watching the game. Yeah. It's like, you're not, you know, you're not. Game 71, playoffs are coming. They're playing Florida. They, it was a good game last night. Like, the Leafs played pretty well. It was exciting. It was, and people are tuned out. Like, I, I'd be interested to see what the ratings are compared to previous years because, you know, I, I think that, I think those people are going to come back for when the playoffs start, but oh, yeah. you know, right now people are like, why do I care about this? You know, I, I care if I care April, whatever, 14th, if they can get it done or not. So if you didn't watch the game, but you want an instant <laughs> reaction and you're like, I don't have two and a half hours to spend to watch the Leafs tonight, but you can watch Leafs talk, Justin Bourne and I, you know, right after the game, boom, boom, it was right there quick in and out. 20-some minutes, perfect breakdown of the game, Bourne's analysis, my takes. What a perfect combination that was last night. Probably the best combination of the entire night. So go subscribe to that. Go review that. So um, I'm cur- I've am i been dying to talk to you about the eye test versus the numbers with this team since the deadline. Because yeah. one, of my fa- one of the reasons that I have you on so much and one of the reasons I, I really like talking hockey with you is I think you do a really good job of balancing the two. Um, obviously you have a a detailed career as a reporter, but yeah, you're someone who I I think does very well in both of those pools and is able to mesh them very well. And if you look at the numbers, the Leafs have not been very good. And last night they got outshot again, but I wouldn't say that that's one where it really, you know, hurt them, hampered them, especially probably they, I I would guess based on the eye test, I didn't look this one up. I probably should have that they had the higher share of high danger chances for last night, which is something that they've actually been pretty brutal at since the deadline. Shockingly, I I don't understand how they're able to still generate as much offense as they have, but where are you at in terms of just them having one of the bottom 10 expected goals for since the deadline low in the league, I think one of the bottom five teams in high danger chances for a record now that's six and five, I want to say in their last 11 games, um, just in terms of these two, these two balancing acts, why we're seeing what we're seeing and whether it concerns you in any way. 
Yeah, and I mean, puck position, they're down to basically like league average. And part of it is just like, uh, it's got to be just the adjustment. You bring in six new players, you you subtract two guys who have been with your team for years in Sandine and Engvall. Like, there's going to be an adjustment there. And then it's been weird too, right? Like, O'Reilly gets hurt. Shin's not with the team because of the baby. There's been all this mixing and matching. There's been 11 and 7, which Sheldon Keefe has almost never done. I. I chalk a lot of it up to just how nothing has been set. And I think what they need to do here over the last 11 games is just dial in and settle on some deep pairs and some forward lines and get allow some guys to get comfortable with each other because that's what I see is that it's kind of just a bit scrambling all over the place. I, to answer your question directly, I think it's a little bit of a concern, to be honest. Like if you're, not, you're not generating as much. The, all the underlying numbers aren't there. You know, I, I'm not quite as concerned as some of the analytics people on social media who are, you know, screaming from the rafters that the trade deadline made this team worse uh, than it was before. Um, you know, they, I mean, they traded a third line guy in the third pair D. Yeah. And and they added Ryan O'Reilly. And, you know, like, I, I understand that the numbers are, but, you know, we're dealing with sample size issues too. And we're dealing with people being hurt and we're dealing with a lineup that scrambled all over the place. You know, I still... I like what I've seen from quite a few of the new players, but I also think that Sheldon Keith needs to realize that at some point he's got to, I think, I think the time for experimentation is, is basically over and you need to start locking in what your playoff lineup's going to look like right now. Um, I need to do this because I just is, um, I have a sickness, but this is one of the things that drives me the most nuts about the analytics community. And I get into this with Tulloch all the time is there are so many guys that just have it as gospel that they can't deviate from it at all. And they say they balance the thing and they say that they just use both and that you need, you use it as a tool, use it as information. And yet when someone like me goes, that's someone that isn't clutch in the playoffs, they go, that's a small sample size. And I go, well, Pierre Engvall's played 17 playoff games. He doesn't have a goal. That seems like a decent sample. And then they go, no, the 11 games, though, where the Leafs after the deadline have not been good is enough of a sample to prove that Rasmus Sandin and Pierre Engvall's loss has been a meaningful impact to this group as a whole. And you're like, okay, all right. It feels selective to me, too. I mean, have you talked at all about, like, Sandin's at, like, 41% expected goals. Sandin is... Uh, God, I've been getting really rude with some of my commentary here, but let's just say that not one time have I missed Rasmus Sandin. And I have also seen all the points that he's accumulated in Washington. I've also seen his, like his dashes every single night. And then the Engvall thing, the Leafs just played the Islanders. And I asked every single person, what was Engvall's most, you know, what was his notableness in that game? He had one kind of hit. And then he was on the outside and he was the least noticeable Islander in a game where they scored seven goals. Um, I'm sorry. I just, yeah. The idea that they got materially worse somehow is nutso. It's, it's lunacy that they lost those guys and that they somehow took this massive step back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it is fair to say the lineup's been scrambled and the players 100%. look a bit, a, a bit confused. And I, and I think that that's where, that's where the numbers stem from. And it's a fair question whether they can, they've got enough time to, to get it sorted out. But, you know, in their defense, they haven't had O'Reilly. They haven't had Shen. They haven't, they haven't, they traded for six guys and they haven't had the six guys. So it's, it's going to be, and the thing too, is that some of the players that were already here, like, like Morgan Riley, like some of the guys that haven't played well bunting, you know, those, those aren't new players, you know, mm-hmm. so some of the incumbent guys have been the ones that have been struggling. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I think that that's what it's been is it's been a combination of 
Has the team looked good? No. I think that there's been a lot of nights where they look bad. And I was pretty pissed off about the Islanders game, especially because it was just mistake after mistake after mistake. And you do want to see some intensity with this team when they're facing an opponent that they have some history with, that their, their, their captain used to be the captain of, that was coming off of that West Coast road trip, something. And there was just no attention to detail. And I think that they've had that a lot lately, but it's a combination of factors. The... The idea that they've had just a bunch of shuffling, some guys hitting a bit of a wall, whether it's Nylander, whether it's some of, yeah, maybe it's been a bit of Tavares, some of the in and outs of the guys coming in and out of the lineup, whatever it's been, they, they haven't looked very sharp. I just don't think that that's a byproduct of, yeah, they lost Rasmus Sandin and Pierre Engvall, and now they can't figure out uh, who's going to be the new rudder of this team. So you mentioned how it's time to get it together. What, who are your top six if the playoffs start tomorrow? Oh boy! Because it's hard. Um, it's shockingly it is, hard. It is difficult. I, I, I and we haven't. I, I expect that Keith's going to want Shen in there, which is probably going to mean Lilgren sits, and then. But uh, coming up with the pairings is really tough. It's really hard. Uh, like I, I don't really love Riley Brody, but I also don't like the way that Riley looks when you don't play him with Brody. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like. And it's it's really interesting that they sat Riley last night. Like it's, I know they're saying there's a rotation and things like that, but you know, Jonas pointed out we were talking as the game was going on. It's like you're playing Marner 29 minutes a game, and you're not, you know, it's not like you're dialing him back or getting him ready, and then you're sitting Riley. It's a bit weird, and not even a back to back. I don't know. I wonder if they're just not. I wonder if Riley's either banged up or they're just not really happy with where he's at. Uh, I'm deflecting your question. I mean, obviously McCabe's in, obviously Riley's in, obviously Brody's in, Giordano's in. So there's, there's your four. Um, am I forgetting someone else who's an obvious in? I think Hall is obviously in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Hall, he's another guy who gets, Yeah, I mean, he's a guy where I, you know, I'm mostly on board with the analytics crew where Hall has a lot of value, especially if you have him on the third pair mm-hmm. and he's good on the PK too. And the PK yep. is going to be really, really important. And the other thing too, is if you go back and watch the Tampa series from last year, Hall wasn't in, I think for the first two games and then he comes in and he plays really, really well and he plays well on the PK. So I, I think it makes sense for Justin Hall to be in as well. So then is there, then it, does it come down to a Shen versus Lilgren? Because I don't think, I mean, we've seen a bunch of Gustafs and now I don't think he's going to be, I'm not really sure what the fascination is with playing him as much as he did. That series where Toronto played against Montreal in the, in, in the, was it the bubble playoffs? It, yeah, was, it was the playoffs without fans anyway. Yeah, it was North you know, Division. Yeah. Was on, he was on that Montreal team that wasn't very good. He played like nine minutes a game. Like, you know, like this isn't a guy that, that should be unseating any of your incumbent people. So, um, I think that that's how it plays out and how the pairings play out is tough. I sort of like what they were looking at with McCabe and Brody, mm-hmm. um, but I just worry that it doesn't give you enough on your other pairings. If you go McCabe and Brody, I think you have to have Lilligren in because that yeah. means that you're putting Lilligren either with Riley or you're putting him with Giordano. And then yeah. Hall with Riley, which seems Hall not with Riley great. has been a disaster. I know. That's, yeah, that's what they, I mean. They can't You're just do that so at all. thin. You're, if you put those two guys together, the, the yeah. it just makes you feel as though one of the pairings you're going to have is a disaster in high leverage minutes, which is scary to me with this team. Well, it's, it's, well, it's, 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 it's not great. Like, the pieces just don't fit. Even with the Luke Shen stuff, yeah. I go... Yeah, I'd like to see Luke Shen in the playoffs because he brings that dynamic. And even last night, he's laying some hits. And whenever he just takes the body, you go, man, it's been a while since the Leafs have had a guy like that. But here's the thing with Luke Shen. 
He hasn't been great on the penalty kill this year. I'm not sure if they trust him in that role. And if there's anybody that you want to have sit and it's going to end up being fine, it's probably him. And he's not going to play more than what, 12, 13 minutes for you in a series against Tampa. So, had, yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's going to play to me. He starts on the bench to, to me. I'm starting Lilligren and basically treating it exactly like last year where I'm saying, you're going to play yourself out of this role. We have to trust you to do it. And I'm going to try at least one time to go with him and potentially Riley together and then put Giordano and Hall and then have, yeah, the McKay-Brody yep. pairing and see if yep. that, that gives you something game one. Otherwise, you're putting Brody with Riley, you're putting McCabe with Hall, and Giordano with Lilligren, and that's your game one. But those are my six. I guess I could see the Lightning just targeting that Riley-Lilligren pairing. I mean, oh, it, yeah. Lilligren's had <laughs> such guess? a good year, but the, la- yeah, the last five or six games or whatever the number has been, I mean, I've been trying to mainline. I, I was gone for a week, so I've been trying to watch all the games back-to-back mm-hmm. and you just you see the mistakes in in front of the net from Lilgren and it just makes you a little bit nervous against the Tampa or Boston. It makes me extremely nervous. I keep bringing it up and it's it's tough when I do this every single day and then I also do Leafs talk just from the standpoint of it. It can sound like you're picking on someone at times when you're really mm-hmm. noticing them in a slump and I hate feeling that way, right? Because I want to spread around the discussion. I don't want to feel like I'm overdoing something, but Lilligren over the last couple of weeks, this is this is the thing. You want to show them the faith, but why these pairings don't feel like they're working is because you lost basically your best right shot D over the entire course of the season to whatever it is that he's going through right now. There was a stretch where nobody could score an even strength goal against him, where he was flying, where people were talking about him maybe getting some more power play time, taking a better look at him there. Well, His, this is the worst he's played all year. A hundred percent. Fantastic season, and then worst now timing. all of a sudden, well, a part of it could be the eleven and seven, right? Like all of a sudden you're scrambling everything, maybe. and you've. You got to, in his minutes are getting, I think he played 10 minutes last night. Yeah. Like his confidence has got to be shot a little bit. Definitely is. But you just look at some of the plays he's making right now and his awareness feels completely off. Like he either doesn't know who's around him. He's bobbling pucks. He's double clutching on plays. He hasn't been very decisive. Maybe these are confidence issues because yeah, he doesn't look like he's wearing down. He doesn't look like a guy who's dealing with an injury. So that's, that's possibly it. I I also have just wondered if as they're ramping this up and as he knows that they're getting closer to this thing, whether or not it is starting to take a mental toll. Either way, if he can normalize and he can be the guy that he was showing he could be in the middle of the year, I think the pairings end up being fine. And if he can't, now you're in this juggling situation where you're in a horrible spot of either having a guy who makes you really nervous in his own end or having Luke Shen who you feel like, yeah, oh, great. We got to get 12 minutes out of you and none of them are really going to be penalty killed. What do we do with that? It's it just, it's the, it's the most uncomfortable situation right now with the team because even with the goaltending, it's probably Samson off to start. You're at home. And if he plays poorly, you just know what's going to happen. Matt Murray's going to go in the net and they're going to try to figure it out that way with the forwards. I think there's enough depth there. If they're healthy, I would say that the only way that the forwards end up taking heat in terms of roster construction is if they suffer more injuries, like Mm -hmm. it's not very good that Bobby McMahon gets hurt and I'm going, uh, so who's next? All right. It's Steve's and Holmberg who the shine is off of him quite, uh, quite a bit. Hey, they got Matthew Nice coming. Yeah, we'll see. I hope so. A lot of people seem very confident that he's going to step in and just be ready to rock and roll. I, I, I don't know. Well, I, I, his team wins and he gets two games with the Leafs in a regular season before he can play in the playoffs in the most important playoff series for this core. Just seems you know what the a other, lot. The, the other lineup, 
I don't know if it's going to be a controversy, but the other lineup question is going to be where does O'Reilly play when he gets back? Like, is he on the yeah. third line? Did he play him up with the big guys? That's certainly going to be something that's up for debate because for whatever reason, David Kampf has not looked as effective now that Engvall's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I wonder if part of it is like Lilgren was so good with Sandine. Sandine's gone. They were obviously very close friends. I wonder if there's like any any offshoot from that. And Engvall and, and Kampf played really, really well together and he's gone. So, you know, you're, you're asking guys to adapt to new line line mates and they just haven't been as effective. The only thing is, is that that checking line of Achari, Kampf, and Zach Aston Reese, when we're talking about, hey, go out there and punt, that's the ultimate punt line for your fourth line. The nothing line. line. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And just do that every single time. They should be able to play with a little bit more physicality. Also, Zach Aston Reese has been scoring some goals lately since the deadline, and so has Achari's chipped in when he's been healthy. You're right. It's been Camp actually a little bit more who has not been himself. Uh, if the Lilligren thing is about Sandine leaving and he's just sad, I would go, okay, that's enough. <laughs> You're going into, we're having a meeting, a very, very serious uh, and stern well, meeting. Well, not just sad, but they had chemistry, I know, right? Like kidding. They played together a lot and yeah. as a third pair, that they sure. were really effective. He's been really good with Giordano too, though, in the past. And yep. yeah, I just, uh, I, I'd like to see Lilligren normalize a little bit here. And yeah, we'll see if... What happens with Ryan O'Reilly? I think that's actually the beauty of this and what I feel most confident in is you're going to have, I, I would imagine, some form of a top six that's Yarncroc, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, Bunting. And then mm-hmm. whenever you have offensive zone draws or some opportunities to give Ryan O'Reilly extra minutes, you're going to throw him up there and you're going to let him either play center move Tavares to the wing and try to take advantage of those spots without really worrying about too much that at least what this is doing for the Leafs right now, where they're running this different bench and having all these different line combinations. I hope it's actually sharpening them to go into the playoffs and continue to be this flexible so that they're not doing stuff like taking bench minors and not feeling as though that certain guys can play with different guys that these looks forward uh, in the forward ranks are going to pan out for them at some point. And so I think that's going to be fine. You're going to see Ryan O'Reilly do both of those things, play second line center, play third line center in some heavy minutes. He'll be all over the place because a lot of the pieces are going to end up being interchangeable anyways. Yeah, potentially. I mean, and one of the criticisms I've had of the Leafs in the past going to the playoffs is that they haven't experimented enough and they haven't tried enough different line combinations. They've gone into the playoffs against Columbus and Montreal and it hasn't worked. And then they've had to scramble into line combinations that they haven't used all season. That's not where you want to be. So I guess the silver lining here, what you're talking about is they've basically tried every line combination possible. And it's just a matter of, I I think it's a matter of like settling over the last seven, eight games of the season into the ones that you think are going to be what you're going to go with and just seeing what it looks like. Yeah. And they're going to have, they're going to have games against Tampa. They're going to, they've got a game against Boston coming up. They've got, I think they have, they have Carolina this weekend. I mean, they're playing Carolina Saturday. Yeah, yeah, they're playing some good teams. So, you know, it, it's time for them to see what they can do. And you're right. I mean, the Islander game was disappointing. The game they played against Ottawa was disappointing. Um, Vancouver. Buffalo, I think. Buffalo. Yeah. yeah. They've had some stinkers, so, man. Yeah. They've had yeah. some real stinkers. It's just that when they have – it's it's such a strange one because they they will look completely checked out at times and you think, okay, well, this is human nature. This might be some turnover. I don't see the lack of chemistry stuff I think people are saying and are seeing as much. I think I see that with the pairings where Keith seems to be a little frustrated in terms of trying different stuff. You're right. I actually have liked a bunch of Gustafson. I can see why they're trying it out, but it is strange because 
it doesn't feel like there's a reality outside of an injury where he plays in the postseason. I, I, I don't see it. And yeah, it they, just seems like they're looking at him more than I thought they would. Yeah, so it's, like it seems like he's getting more of a leash to. So I don't know. Maybe there's a, a world where he is playing game one. Uh, I I think the only way that he's playing is if they decide to go eleven and seven for a game. If yeah. there was some reason why they they either suffered an injury or they didn't get Ryan O'Reilly back in time, they do go eleven and seven. They want to have that offensive option. The yeah. the real interesting thing with me, the only way to that you could justify having him on your playoff roster is if he ends up playing power play one, which they took a look at yesterday. They just didn't end up getting a, a decent enough look at it because well, one, it wasn't really looking too great. And then they have a five on three. He didn't have to end up doing too much, but that's his true value is he, he plays with real confidence on the blue line. He can clearly snap a pass. He's a little bit more aggressive than Morgan Riley is. I just, I also think as much as that might be fun to think about, could you imagine if he made a turnover on the blue line in a playoff game <laughs> and it resulted in a shorthanded goal and they lost Sheldon Keefe, you know, he's that's, I don't know if he coaches again in the NHL as a head coach, because it just, it's such a, of all the ways to lose, right. They, they say this in the, in fantasy football, right. They say, play your horses, go with your horses. And if you, if a guy on your bench, that's some weird wild card ends up popping off for 20 fantasy points, whatever, but you can't live with that. You can't have that. And I, I would be giving my fantasy football advice essentially to Sheldon Keefe coaching the Toronto Maple Leafs is just go with your horses and, and don't try to over tinker and don't try to overthink this one. Uh, James, before you go, last thing, does the Connor McDavid comments and the world baseball classic, just overwhelming reception and visibility. Have you a little bit more optimistic about the NHL getting some urgency when it comes to having their players play in international competition, best on best competition. No, I mean, that's the worst. That's the worst. How how could you not? They don't want to do a tournament without Russia. And to me, it's like, well, why not? I mean, like, look what's happening in the world. Like if, if Russia can't be there, then do it anyway. Like, I don't know why, like the reason why they're punching back is, is because they want to have everyone there. But I mean, the Olympics is talking about not having Russia there and, I mean, if the Olympics is, yeah, if, if these major, so why can't the NHL, I, I don't know, I guess it, maybe it's like a, maybe the PA is involved, I don't know, but, you know, if this, if what's happening geopolitically and, and with the, the war and everything with Russia, if it continues on, at some point they ought to say, we just need to move forward with something. Yeah. But that's, that's the biggest hurdle right now, you know, because they would like to have a World Cup. And it's, you know, I was reading some of the stories, like it's, you think about it and like Connor McDavid hasn't played internationally for Canada. You know, he, the last best on best he was in was the the goofy world cup where he was on team North America. And, you know, here's a guy who's right in his prime and never having played in an Olympics. And it's just, I don't know. Something feels very, very wrong about that. And it feels like the gatekeepers of the sport are, are letting letting it down by not having that happen. It's beyond infuriating. And I, as much as I hate it as a Canadian, because I just, I want to see our country do our thing. It is even worse for the States who has developed this incredible crop of talent and where, like, if you want to talk about a place where you could have actually seen growth, that was it. That was seeing all these different guys and a bunch of which play for American teams in some markets that they'd love to try to find a bit of growth into 
and they haven't been able to showcase these guys. It's been awful. I actually, you want my tinfoil hat thing a little bit here with the Russia stuff? Uh, I don't know if I have a choice. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> Correct. I mean, you could leave. I think if Ovechkin wasn't in the, the Gretzky chase, they would just do it without Russia. I think that mm-hmm. so much of this actually has to do with the fact that they know he's going to break that record and mm-hmm. they cannot, they do, they hate that this is a story. And every once in a while, somebody writes it and goes, hey, it's actually pretty awkward. Um, this isn't great. And people go, hush, 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 hush. He has nothing to do with it, even though it's like, no, nah, man, he has stuff to do with it. He's kind of yeah. one of the biggest visible arms of Putin in North America. He, uh, yeah, people like to try to make excuses a lot of times for the Russian athletes going, it's dangerous for them at home. I'm like, all right, you know, maybe. But seems like this guy was more than willing to volunteer himself for a very, very long time to be outwardly facing with this. He was like the head of a group of uh, Putin athletes globally. Uh, Yeah. I think that this matters. I think that this is a part of it. They go, we're banning Russia from a World Cup event, and it's coinciding with one of their yeah. biggest, most marketable stars that they've run out there since 2000, what, four he was drafted or five? Anyway, this has been a like double-decade career getting close to, and then he's going to break the most cherished record in the sport right as that's happening. It's basically, they're just, they're trapped. They're trapped. They, they, I, I have to think that this actually has a big part or plays a big part into why they just can't do the Russia exclusion thing. Like they're not doing this because they can't send Kuznetsov, Vasilevsky. They're doing this because of what is going to happen with Ovechkin. I think too, I, my guess is, and I haven't heard them comment on this yet, and they're going to be introducing, introducing the new executive director next week in, in Toronto. And so maybe he'll be asked about it, but I would guess that the players association is involved as well. And they're going to say, because when you do a world cup, it's not, it's not an IAHF event, right? It's an NHL, NHLPA event generating revenue for the players and, and, and the owners. And they're going to say, you, you can't leave out a chunk of our membership. Like that's just, we're not going to play ball with that. Okay. Well, lame. <laughs> it's all that all yeah, of this just sucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Find one win NHL. Can you just guys, can you collect one win together? Go together, find a way to come out of a room with one win. That would be great. They should go to the Olympics and then they can blame, you know, the, they can blame the Olympics for not having Russia there. I don't know that that feels like to me the way to go. But I mean, what's, how far are we off from the Olympics? It's a long ways away. Now I think we're three years away, right? Yeah. Yeah. McDavid's going to be, he's going to be an old man by then. Oh, poor Sid. I actually, it's like, I obviously I want to see McDavid, but I do think about Sidney Crosby because just what it would have been for him had he been able to rack up four golds with Canada, mm-hmm. which would have been very, yeah. very, very possible. And the way we would have discussed him and revered him differently. And yeah, as his Penguins team started to get older and became a little less relevant and had all those disappointing exits to the Islanders, it just sort of felt like Sid fades from our memories a little bit. And, and Canada would have kept him completely different relevancy if we're he's building off the golden goal and continue to stack yeah. stats. Although you watch him now and it's like, maybe he can play another like six years and be relevant. He's like it man. seems like he hasn't really tailed off that much. Nope. He's been so good. You look he's, at that goal he scored the other oh. night and it's like, it's amazing. Yeah. It's so funny because obviously when he started his career, I hated his guts. He punched that guy in the groin from behind and I went, I hate this complainer. When he lost with Ramuski to Corey Perry, that's my favorite... Uh, junior hockey moment. I was so thrilled. Like, yes, 
eat it, Sydney. Uh, and now I just I adore the guy. I just want to see him succeed. I'd love to see him do one more run. I'd love to see him play with Team Canada, whatever. Uh, Myrtle, good to have you back, buddy. Thanks for doing it. Talk to you soon. Thanks, JD. See you, pal. Uh, quick break. Let's come back. We got off the night. We needed it so badly. Three or four. And next best bet coming up. Sportsnet 590. The fan. Like I said, I needed to change it up yesterday. I needed a new vibe. I couldn't just go with the one pick. <laughs> and I had been getting, I was cursed. I, I was cursed when it came to guys who were sitting out. I just yep. could not buy one from the standpoint of giving a pick out at 950 mm-hmm. and then showing up and having guys just sit later in the league where guys don't want to play the sport in basketball where they're like, nah. I'm sorry. And in hockey where they're kind of doing the same thing now down the stretch run. Um, but nobody's really talking about it. They're like, it's not load management. It's shuffling in and out of line. It's rest. It's day-to-day. Rest. Uh, it is time for Best Bets brought to you by our friends at Botano Sportsbook, the 2022 Global Sports Betting Operator of the Year. Incredible book. Early payouts. A billion different things to bet on for March Madness. Yeah, last night I missed on the Knicks because guess what? Jalen Brunson <laughs> sat out. What a yep. surprise. What a surprise. Line moved right away. I went, whatever. I still stuck with it. And they, st- they lost. <laughs> they actually had a moment. They made a nice little late run. And I went, this is happening. They're going to do a comeback. We're going uh, to go perfect. But I take solace in the fact that, what did I say? Over in the Gonzaga game. Yep. Boom. And wh- how did I say it was going to go over? I said... Hakez, I think I called him Jacquez, <laughs> and Drew Timmy were yep. going to go head-to-head, and both of those guys were going to go over their player props. Timmy hit his over player prop, I want to say, in the first half. Very quickly. He at least had 19 in the first half or 17. He was very, very close. He came out and he dominated. Hakez, same thing. Mm-hmm. He actually was instrumental in hitting that over at the very end with a couple of the N1s. That yeah. game ended up being an unbelievable game. Yeah. It's, it's funny because... at I liked the over, and Mm -hmm. I middled that sucker last night because I had the over in the game, which was 145.5. And And then at halftime, with UCLA up big, I think they were up 12 at the half, I decided to bet the under, the live under on the Mm 158.5. Just seemed like a lot. Game was going to slow down. Possessions were going to slow down a little bit. That required more scoring in the second half. What a beautiful middle it was. What a gorgeous (laughs) middle it was. The over hits, Hawkes hits, Timmy hits, everything. It was just a joyous, joyous way to go to bed. And then that end too. The only problem for me is I'm trying to get some sleep. (laughs) And it's hard to go to sleep when you win four big bets. And it's an awesome college basketball game that that also has a a 10-point comeback in under two minutes and then a three-pointer on a pitch play from (laughs) the Madness logo. To put Gonzaga back on top. I was so ready to do the whole Gonzaga gonna Gonzaga uh, tweet. Just what a classic. What losers. These guys are always just as, yeah, what a shot. UCLA was up 13 and a half, by the way. Yeah, 13 and a half. 46 to 33. Yeah, it was a beautiful second half for the Zags. They played much better. I actually thought that they're a team that wants to play with tempo. I still, I'm... Who are they going to end up playing in the next round? I don't know. Who cares as of right now? UConn. UConn? Oh, yeah. I'll be taking UConn big time. Who killed Arkansas. Yeah, no. UConn's good, too. I also had UConn. Yeah. The only problem is I parlayed UConn with uh, Tennessee. Oh, boy. I thought, yeah, this will come to an end for the Owls, and Tennessee was looking good, and they had... They were also up at half. 
Two teams have had complete meltdowns in this tournament where you could see the writing on the wall um, well before they blew their lead. One was Tennessee and the other was Arizona against Princeton. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the way, that hits uh, for tonight's bets in college basketball. Um, That's where I'm going again, obviously. One, I like Jack Nungy, the senior for the Xavier Musketeers. Xavier Musketeers. I'll never truly know. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it is Xavier, but I like Xavier. It's I've, I've a, always said Xavier. Yeah, I think that's better. Jack Nunzi is a seven-foot center, and he has had a really solid tournament so far. But the reason why I like him is their offense is really good, but also Texas is not a very big team. I imagine that he's going to be able to scoop a couple of offensive rebounds in this game for a couple of putbacks. He also has range. And, and the guiding principle in what I bet on yesterday in college ball is I like seniors in these big games. Mm-hmm. That This is their last spot. They're going to go out on their shield. They're not just going to let this thing happen and go, oh, yeah, I'm back here for a couple more years. This is the biggest moment of Jack Nungy's career. This is going to be it for him. And, yeah, Texas, they do not start guys that are over six foot nine. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, a smaller team in Texas, a team that pushes the tempo, a game where I think there's going to be a decent amount of points. Uh, I'm going to go with Nungy. Over his point total, 13 and a half. He's a guy that averages 14, and normally he does. And again, a senior, a seven-footer. 18 against Pitt. Yeah, somebody that has really nice range, somebody that's been instrumental for their team so far this tournament, who's been playing really tough. Uh, I like a bunch of stuff in the tournament tonight. Like, I actually kind of, I think I'm, this this game's weird because the total, uh, I, I think this could go one of very two distinct ways. I will say this, and I, I'm not betting this because I'm not, uh, I would never fade a Canadian, but Marcus Carr is at 16 and a half points. And the Canadian kid from Toronto has struggled lately, not shooting the three ball well. He's gone under that. Like, I want to say if you go look at his last 10 games, he's maybe gone over 16 points twice. Sounds like you're fading the yeah. Canadian. JJ, I just, I'm just saying that I wanted to make him my bet mm. because I thought, hey, this is a good spot for him. This is a good moment for him. But yeah, I just, Ugh, I, I can't back the 16 last and a half. 10 games. He went over that three times yeah, and it was all, times. it was all 17. <laughs> so he was that's what I'm 0. saying. over. <laughs> yeah. 17 a lot of tens in there. 17 points. The highest disease he's hit in that stretch. Yeah. And his total is 16 and a half. I was a little curious how they came up with that line for him. So anyway, that's one to kind of keep an eye out for. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I can't wait for tonight. I think that Houston tonight's a parlay night for me where I like the favorites. Um, obviously Crichton is way too heavily favored in this game. Like you can't bet them as money line, but I, I, I don't quite feel comfortable enough to lay the nine and a half, but I might put that one in a teaser, you know, take mm-hmm. a couple of points off that nine and a half. Um, the only dog that I like that I think I might play is Xavier. I just, I like their team. I like their starting five guys. They've, they've got a real competent starting five. Texas has looked amazing. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to kind of fade them given the way that they've, they've looked throughout this tournament at times. But I think Xavier's tough and that one's going to be close. I think San Diego State will give Alabama a run for their money for parts of it, but that Alabama will come out on top. I think that Houston and Crichton are going to... Creighton? Yeah. Yeah, that they're going to really beat the brakes off. Although I just, I can't in good conscience throw Creighton in a tight parlay just given that <laughs> Princeton has cost me two. That's they the Blue cost Jays, me my bracket and they cost me a huge bet in the last round. So yeah. <laughs> the Blue Jays, come on. Anyways, that was Best Bets brought to you by our friends at Patano. Again, reach out to me anytime uh, at JD Bunkus. Uh, sportsbook is really, really good. It's a really damn good sportsbook. Huge internationally, finally breaking in through here. The game starts now. Quick break. Let's come back. John Gibbons is hot. 
John. You know, that anthem singer yesterday in the Panthers game might have blown it. But our next guest, he can crush the anthem. Seen him do it. Seen him do it on a snowmobile, actually. Or as we call him, the Yukon, a sled. Uh, it's former Blue Jays manager and now author. Um, Tales of a Baseball Lifer, out April 4th. It's John Gibbons. What's up, brother? How we doing? Oh, Canada. <laughs> yeah, see? Uh, and you can hit it. You can hit it. Hey, man. You must be the only one that liked it. Thanks, pal. Yeah, I did like it. I thought it was good. It's just sitting on big machine out in the middle of... Where were you again? You are out in, like, you were out in Alberta? Was a, no, we were actually in uh, it's little uh, Cook City, uh, Montana, right outside Yellowstone oh, okay. Park. It's like, but the Canadians come down there. It's like one of the top snowmobile places in the uh, North oh, America, you know? Funny. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm originally from Whitehorse, Yukon, where we call them sleds, not snowmobiles. And it's sledding oh. is pretty big. Sledding is pretty big. We might have invented a group of early YouTubers that did something called sled porn. And it is just not what you think. It's just like they're so good at tricks that they call it sled porn. My my young wow. guys in the studio, they're freaking out. They're like, don't say that. I think. <laughs> they're, they're like, don't say that, Jeannie. That's just that's not good. That's naughty. That's a that's a bad word. Hey, hey. you're hey, you. So you were out there in the bush, man, where you grew yeah. up out in the oh. woods. That's uh, the woods. That is the dark. That is far. You know what's funny, though, about growing up there is you don't know, right? You don't know that you're isolated and still all that different. You're just a kid. So I grew up outside. Yeah. I loved it. I, I could not have asked for just like a more active childhood and, yeah, getting to learn the outdoors and getting to, yeah, really experience nature. Um, yeah, getting to, there's certain things about it, getting to go up to Alaska a lot and, yeah, the different things that I got to experience with that life for sure. Um, I'm, I'm very grateful then that you, I, I was a Yukon kid. Yeah, and then you got, and then you went to the big city. Yeah, exactly. I turned my back on everybody. <laughs> you know what's great, though, about the, the life I get to live, Gibby, is that with my friends from back home in the Yukon, I, I'm the big city guy where I go, ugh, like this is how we're living now? Yes, this is a shack. <laughs> and then whenever I go to the city, I'm like, I'm not that. I'm a country guy. Like I'm a yeah, woodsman, right. you know? It's, it's a nice mix of things. So congrats it on the is. book. Congrats on the book, man. Like honest to God. Already reading some of the excerpts. Whoo! It's gonna be a hot book, Gibby. This is gonna sell a lot. This is, you're gonna move a lot of merchandise, my friend. Uh, so my my first thing, just in terms of the the book itself, is I love asking this question to anybody who writes it because you got to pour over so much of your life and your career. And again, it's a tales of baseball life. It's out April fourth. You do so much. You have to go over so many memories. Does something did, when you were writing this? Did something pop? Was there anything in the process that you didn't expect? Um, in terms of reflecting on your life and your career? You know, Jay, hey, first, thank, thank you very much. You know, I, ho I hope people enjoy it. I had fun doing it. You know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure anything. Uh, it, was, it was fun reflecting, you know, going back to my, my youth a little bit, you know, and, uh, and, and uh, so many good memories. And then there were some tough memories with, you know, with uh, my sister and my family and things like that. So, but it was, I, you know, I think it'd probably be pretty cool for everybody out there. They may not write a book, but if they go back and reflect on their life someday, you know, instead of wait, we wait till our deathbed, you know, I guess. But uh, yeah, it was it was just fun, you know, and a lot of laughs, a lot of smiles, and I've had it pretty good, man. I've had so many good people in my life that uh, have given me opportunities and taken care of me, and 
And, uh, you know, I've gotten opportunities that better baseball people than myself never got, you know. So I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty thankful for that. I can guarantee you that. So, you know what, though, is you've always seemed like just uh, like a, a real-life person, that you get that. And, and I think that's why you've resonated with so many people. And what I would say about just having to go through the trials and tribulations of your life and the difficulties and the lower moments of your life, as hard as they probably were to write about, those are actually the things that I, I think when you read a biography that resonate the most with people. And that is such a, I want to say pleasurable experience, but make these things, um, yeah, better reads is you start to reflect on your own life. You start to think about some of the difficulties that maybe you end up burying and you surface some of them and they do give you perspective on the rest of your life. You know, you're exactly right. You know, you also find out, I think that, uh, you know, everybody's got the same issues, you know, mm-hmm. uh, everybody's got the same dysfunction one way or the other. So, but it, it, it was fun, you know, it, uh, uh, you know, Toronto, you know, I, I had a very short lived playing career and then I made my career up in, in Canada, up in Toronto, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, but my, my first little league game ever was in Goose Bay, Labrador, you know, kind of up, opposite side of the Yukon, you know, there was a military base up there. So in, uh, you know, so Toronto, Toronto, although I had that, that's, I'm not an official Canadian. I've spent, uh, gosh, I've spent so much of my life up there. I love it. You know, and you were talking about the people, right? And, mm-hmm. Or being uh, genuine or down to earth, whatever. You know, that's how I view Canadians, you know, most Canadians. You know, they're just hardworking, honest. You know, you give them a good effort, whatever it is. You know, they uh, they love to drink their beer. Whatever. You know, it's just good. You know, a lot like Texans in a lot of ways, you know, without insulting you. That's kind of the way it is. It's not insulting. All right. That's fine. We'll take that. <laughs> this is, this is, this is, but I think the only people who are insulted now are Texans. They're like, yo, Gibby, relax. <laughs> we think we're <laughs> we think pretty good, too. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's great, man. Again, you have always resonated with the country. You've always seemed to kind of get it up here. You know how to, I think, yeah, speak to people here and connect with people here. That's very, very clear. That's very, very obvious. Is why. So many people were excited when you did end up coming back as manager. So I, I do want to look a little bit back on your career and then maybe a little bit to the Blue Jays here. So one is, so this just came across, is some of these excerpts from your book. And, and I don't think anybody was ever confused with your exit from the Toronto Blue Jays in terms of it not being the way that you wanted it to go. I can still remember you on the podium talking about like, yeah, you didn't, you weren't going willingly. Like you were not someone going, yeah, it's great. This is the right time to be leaving the organization and I'm done managing and blah, blah, blah. It was pretty clear that you were at odds with this front office and that these guys wanted you out at the end of it, but you were also a very popular figure here. You'd had a lot of success here and it just, it never felt quite right. That being said, it does go away. The team starts having success. Time moves on. You sort of forget about some of these things. It, it seems like it was even more contentious than it appeared from the public, like from a public standpoint. Well, well first off, you know, you get, to, you know, the, um, when Shapiro and Atkins came and they inherited me, you yeah. know, and Thopos left. In every new front office should have their own guy managing the team. That's the way it ought to be. You know, I, I would, if I, if I was a new, if I was in their shoes, I'd want my own guy because there's too many things you got to do and, and, and work out and you, you either sink or swim together. Right. So you want your people by you. That's how I got to there in Toronto myself, you know, with JP Richardi. Um, and what, what kind of, yeah, that you know, that we knew at the time, you know, when the teams, when Alex left, when the team started going South, you know, our team was getting a little bit older it was going to be a rebuild, you know, just the way it was, you know, I think that's what, you know, Mark Shapiro was brought in for, you know, to, to strip it down, go cheap and rebuild it. Right. And so, 
and we were fine with that. We all, all knew that. And uh, I think it just it just took a little longer than they expected. You know, we caught fire in fifteen when he first came over, so now they can't do it, right? And then at sixteen, we we repeated. You know, they can't do it, and uh, you know, otherwise it's a PR nightmare. You know, uh, you know, if we if we if we fade in fifteen, like everybody thought maybe we were going to, you know, sooner, like we we'd done for twenty two years, right? Mm-hmm. Then uh, then it's perfect timing. They can strip it down and start over and. But we kind of threw a wrench in that a little bit, and then, uh, uh, and then at the end, you know, I knew I knew it was my time, and, and you know, they deserved their old guy, you know, and I was ready to go. We, we, they, they were good to me. In fact, they, you know, they, they, they signed me to a new contract. They let me do my job. Mm-hmm. They probably wanted me to be a little more analytical type guy, and, and uh, um, but I, that's not who I was, and that's not who the, the guys I worked for before that, right? And, uh, but, but the time was right. There's no doubt. But what, I guess what, what got me is, is at the end of the year, I knew it was over. We talked, we, you know, this was going to be it, blah, blah, blah. And then there was the old trial balloon that was floated. You know, we, I think it was in August about we come back from a road trip in Seattle. You know, Gibbons is going to get fired, you know. And then nobody put their name on it. But, you know, I know how these things work, you know. And, and, uh, and so then I kind of, you know, I said, screw this. I, you know, I'm not – I'm. I'm not going down easy now. I'm going to stick my chest out and I'm going to finish this thing up. And then, you know, whatever happens at the end, you know, it's not going to be a big hug fest. Right. Um, so that bothered me a little bit because I've been there too long, you know, and, and, uh, and the team was going nowhere at that time. But I think what, what they wanted to place, put some guy there in the, at the end, I was possibly going to leave before the season was over. But I think they wanted somebody in there, you know, they could give it like a little trial run or something. Did, that's so, kind of, so that, that's what chapped my ass a little bit. But other than that, I got no complaints. They were they were good to me. They put a lot of money in my pocket. But <laughs> there's no doubt I'm, I wasn't their type of guy, and that's fine. I mean, you know, we, we don't. Uh, I'm not a politician, you know. Yeah. Well, here's the thing too. Um, I'm I'm reading again a couple of these excerpts. I'm really excited to read the book it, again. Comes out very soon, uh, April 4th. So wherever books are sold, uh, Gibby Tales of a Baseball Lifer. And that seems to be one of the themes is that you, you did have a little bit of difficulty communicating to them when a lot of analytics were brought in, a lot of different personnel. I, I saw one quote from the book um, where you're outlining that you're basically bumping into new people every single day, that there was just a lot of additional yeah, employees around, more people having says. And this is something that we've uh, like talked about a lot with baseball. And I'm, I'm hoping it gets back to it in sports in general is that we got all this added information and it can be helpful and it can be useful, but it felt like it started to become gospel at times for different places. Do you feel like when you were there, it was just, it was too much in that one way, whether it was the sports science department or it was the analytics and that, yeah, some of your experience and some of your expertise as a manager, that maybe too much of it is starting to get taken out of your hands. Oh, well, that's definitely taking over the game of baseball. You, mean you, just, watch, you just watch games on TV and, and you watch the, the moves that are made and it's clearly being dictated by numbers instead of maybe what your eyes are, you know, actually happen. And that's fine. You know, everybody's adopted that. And, and it's like, it's like remember when Moneyball first came out yeah, and uh, next thing you know, everybody's doing it. And that, now that nobody has an advantage, you know. So, so, so now it's just like everybody's got the same analytics. I figure they get, maybe they're – their teams aren't as big, but you know, so it comes down to just like it always says for a hundred and some years, you got the, if you got more of the better players, you're probably going to win, you know, or you got a better shot. So, because there's no, un, un, um, everybody's got the same info, I would think, you know, and then, you know what, the same, the same teams that 
are at the top every year are still there at the top, and the same teams that stink every year are still at the bottom. You know, so there's and they all have the same info, right? So there's maybe a little bit something more than just a number. Um, uh, and maybe it's a lot of times it's a desire to win too. If, you know, an uh, ownership group that wants to win or versus one who just wants to, you know, pocket a little profit. You know, um, so there's a yeah, there's a. I, th- I think that what's been lost a lot in the game is the human element, the beauty. You know, it doesn't seem to be as fun anymore to a lot of people, you know. And, and um, uh, But there's, you know, whenever there's change, it's like in anything else, you know, there's, if you get a little bit older and I'm on, I'm, I'm on that side, uh, you know, there's always resistance, right? Because we always felt like, well, we did things the right way. So, and, you know, but baseball's tried to screw – I mean, the people in baseball have tried to screw it up for over 100 years. You know, they never can. It always comes back to its roots, and it always will, you know. And uh, um, But, you know, you, but, you, but if you don't – if you if you, if you want a job – I tell you what right now, J.D., if, if you want a job as a manager in baseball, you better get on board or you got zero chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that seems very clear with where the game has been these last couple of years. My contention with this stuff has always been – um, of course, people want to try to figure out a formula to winning. Of course, if you're going to have data to support an argument versus someone telling you that they've been around and that they have some experience and that you should trust them, they're more likely to lean with something that's a safer option, given that it helps them keep an extremely lucrative and desirable position, right? That's natural. Right. But I do also think that basically there's becoming a spot in sports that's growing to me anyways of... If you can try and trust that human element a little bit better, then maybe you have a bit of an advantage given that all those places you just referenced, they have the same numbers and they are working off those same sheets. Uh, My old colleague, or he's still my colleague, my old co-host and I, Ben Ennis, used to talk about this a lot, the idea that um, it's just the computer and it's spitting out the algorithm and you're going, that's what you have to do. That's what you have to do every single time. Yeah, but you might have an advantage where you decide to switch it up and you have that in this moment. And, and I wonder if you're optimistic at all that given the way that things are going, that, that we could see a bit of a return to that, that that is the next inefficiency is trusting people and trusting their experience and trying to balance those two things a little better. Well, you know, I got to, you know, I tell you from from my perspective, and my, what my job was, uh, you look at uh, look at the team that won the World Series last year and could have won the year before uh, Houston Astros, Dusty mm-hmm. Baker, right? He's yeah. running. You know, the, the team that beat him the year before, Brian Snitker, sixty something year old guy that's, uh, you know, from the Bobby Cox. Uh, you know, Bobby wasn't a uh, reading a computer sheet. I guarantee you that. And then, uh, and you know, then Bruce Bochy's brought brought back this year down in Texas because you know what? I mean, his record speaks for itself. Um, and it, a lot of times certain managers, I think are better motivators or they get uh, managers. You know, I had a, was one guy that was considered one of the best GMs there, Frank Cassie with New York Mets built, helped build the Baltimore Orioles back in the day, you know, in their heyday early on and then re, uh, rebuilt the Mets and turned them into winners. And I asked him one day when I got into coaching, I said, what, what makes a, a good manager to you? You know? And he says, well, he says, number one, he says, uh, you got the, the guy's got to get the most out of his players, right? It sounds simple, but some guy, you know, there's they these guys got different personalities. They they got different motives. The players I'm talking about, you, you know, you got to be able to pull it all together and motivate them to get them to play every day, right? It sounds like it should be a given, but it's not all. You know, you got to do different things to different guys, right? And then he says you got to be able to ha- handle a, a pitching staff, which is the nuts and bolts of the game because you're basically your offense stakes in a, a good teams. It's pretty 
static. You know, you get this lineup and you run it out there unless somebody needs a day out for somebody's hurt, right? And that's what the great teams do. And uh, so he says, you know, handle the pitching staff. Make them make the moves. Know your team. Get them, get them to perform. And if you think about it, that's that's the truth. You know, you're not gonna, you're probably not gonna outsmart a lot of a lot of teams. You know, you, I think managers a lot of times uh, uh, can hurt you more than help you by getting in the way of things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and not being a, necessarily a good judge of or, or sense what the what's going on in the moment. But I will guarantee you this. The, the, you, there's never been a team that won anything that lacked good players, right? Didn't have some of the best players or, or more of them. That's just a fact. I don't care what sport you're in. You know, there's, you know, I think every year there's maybe a couple teams that underachieve and then and a, couple, a couple teams that overachieve. But after 162 games every year, everybody finds their level and, and their talent level. You know, that's that's just the way it is. So it's a, I don't, I don't know. I, I think. Uh, the game still comes down to he, he, the human help guys are out there playing it. and um, But there's no doubt the info, information, there's a lot of good information out there. Don't get me wrong, but baseball has always been numbers. Mm-hmm. It's just now taken to the extreme, but guys have always based moves on, moves or strategy on numbers. That's just a fact, you know? Yeah, of course. And we've seen zags with this stuff too, right? Like Blake Snell in the World Series getting pulled. And it backfiring. Oh yeah. And then you go. Well, you know, hey, you know, on that yeah. move, J and E right there, yeah. that move years ago. If you take him out of that game right there, you're the manager. You get fired. Everyone's fired. Nowadays, <laughs> yeah. Now nowadays, if you if you don't take him out, yeah. you know, you get fired for not taking him out. So it's yeah. like that's that's how the games change, you know. And it, and it uh, you know, however you like it, I guess. Yeah. But I think that's an important thing to relay too. Is that yeah, some of those guys that you referenced, they still are managers that have autonomy. And you mentioned, hey, you've got to buy in, or you won't get an opportunity. Now, I think, I think that's a loss uh, for for a baseball organization. I'll just say, for me personally, just my my opinion on the matter is, any organization where you hire people, you should have to trust those people to be able to do their jobs. If you're just tinkering and you're managing, and they're just then essentially trying to become a puppet for you, yeah, then you're not you're right. not optimizing the position. You're not optimizing the role, and and I just don't think that you're ever going to get the best out of it. So for you, you mentioned like those tips you got about managing, but what was the most most important element of managing to you personally? Well, you, your your relationship to players, man, and getting getting them motivated, getting them, uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, every you got guys in, in baseball, right? Well, in any sport, they come from all over the world, different economic backgrounds, different educational backgrounds. You know, family dynamics, all that. So they, they all they're all beat a little bit different, right? And um, but one thing they can do is they can either throw a baseball, hit one, or catch one. And you got you, your job is to is to bring them all together in the. You know, get them to play as a team, and get you know, get them to you know, every day they show up, they're in a good frame of mind. I mean, it doesn't always happen, and you got to be able to put out fires. You got to keep be able to keep guys in line, and then you can't you can't be a dope, and then you got to be able to watch the game, and let and the game will kind of dictate a lot of times what moves you need to make. You know, mm-hmm. um, and people people say sometimes, well, you, this guy manages or makes decisions too much on his gut. No, it's got nothing to do with your gut; it's your eyes, man. If you watch. I can, you can tell when a pitcher's starting to lose it, right? You can uh, – and, and just kind of in, – instinctual things, you know? But one other thing I want to say, you know, we were talking about that analytics. You know, I think I think why – another reason why it's so strong out there is, you know, one thing, owners of, you know, the, of sports teams, owners 
one thing they all successful. The one thing they understand is numbers, right? Money. They understand how that works. So now in the analytics world, I mean, in baseball, that, that lets them become more involved, you know. And I, and I think they enjoy that. You, I think it more. You look around, more guys are ownership level or more involved in the decisions, and uh, it can, they can. They, it used to be, you know, it was a toy to most owners. You know, yeah. they they, they uh, you know, and, and they they let the guy they hire their baseball guys and let them do their job. Now now they're more hands on, and I think one thing they they can relate to is numbers because they understand them. You know. Yeah. Um... I, this That's is, my theory, man. Hey, it's a, I think it's a good theory, and and I think that you see this especially now with hey, who is able to now buy sports teams for the first time? It's all often a lot of people who are you know from Silicon Valley, and I just think about uh, Sacramento yeah. Kings for example. Um, they got a guy named Vivek Renadiev, and he came in right away and was like, "Yes, we're going to have formulas, and we're going to have numbers right away, and we're going to try to quantify stuff." And usually, it's a process where you have to learn that you don't over tinker, that you don't overdo this, and eventually, you end up in a place where you can be a little bit more hands off. I mean, unless you're like old school, like Jerry Jones, where you're like, "I'm going to yeah. die, I'm going to die managing this football team the way I want to do it." <laughs> you know, that's the yeah, that's, right. and, hey. that's how I would be though, a hundred percent. Where I'd be trying to do the feel, I'd be annoying where I'd be around the team and I'd be trying to look at stuff and say, what do you think? I would want to solicit as much as I could from people who are around it their whole lives because I just, I believe that the better working environment is still the one that is a bit more hands-off and where you do trust your people to, yeah, do the thing that they've been great at for a really long time. Okay, so you mentioned that thing about, yeah, managing different players and being able to connect with them and relate to them. Was there one player where you had a tough time with them at the very beginning that you really broke through with that you're proud of where you did feel like I wasn't getting the best out of this guy. And then by the end of it, you absolutely were. Ah, uh, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, I asked the tough questions. That's what everybody says. Uh, yes, yeah, you do. Man. Hey, hey, this is hard hit journalism. Yeah, that's man. right. That's I'm a big J. <laughs> hey, you know, what, hey, JD, we could use a little bit more of that in yeah. the world, man. A little tough, you know, a little tough journalism. Now, you know what? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know if I could say that I reinvented anybody's career or saved anybody's no, no. career. That's not what I'm asking. I'm I, just I mean like it, someone maybe you didn't get off to a great start with, but eventually you were like, no, I figured this guy out, and, and we found we found a way forward together. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Going back to, you know, when the team finally came together, you know, you got Josh Donaldson, you got Jose Batista, mm-hmm. and, you, you know, we're all pretty tight now, but they, they, were, they, were, they were tough guys to handle, you know? They, mm-hmm. they weren't – they were tough, tough guys to manage in the fact that, you know what uh, – you know, usually the great players are right. They're emotional. They they uh, they they tick a little bit different than most. And and they uh, you know, there's just something different about them than the normal guy. And they're not like uh, some guys are are too coachable. And by that I mean, you know, they'll listen to everything you say, and that that gets you in trouble as a player. You know, they they know they know themselves, and they know that, and they got one thing on their mind: they're going to succeed, and they're going to help their team. But you better get out of the way, and you got to be able to adjust to that. If you got you got a lot of teams, um, a lot of players on your, on your team like that, and we did, they got to get to know you. They got to they got to trust you, um, because you know I'm I was basically uh, you know I hadn't had any success in in the game other than being basically a 500 team, mm-hmm. uh, managed 500 record teams. And so, and these guys, and the, you know, they were coming from Dallas and Oakland, and you got Russell Martin every year. He's on the playoff team, and Hosey was, you know, uh, so they weren't. They were they were uh, very intense guys, and you and you got you got to figure them out and know when to, you know when, you know. Sometimes you just got to get out of the way, you know. Sometimes you got to turn your back, you know, and and uh, let them do their things. And, and I think 
that's what good managers do, you know. But, but you know, if they step out of line and they, they're hurt their team or they're not focused on the right things, you got to step in. You got to take charge. You know, you can't let them. You know, the inmates run the asylum. Let's say. But so I think that's the biggest, the toughest part of managing is managing the different personalities. And when you got some big ones, you know that that's the test because every every day is different. You know, and they they run through their ups and downs. But you know what? They're the best best players in the world. You know, you ain't gonna win without them. You just got to figure them out, and they got to trust that you are, you know, you're you're uh, 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 legitimate, uh, honest, uh, not, not a phony, or whatever you want to say. And you got their back that you'll fight for them. You know, yeah. that's that's the key to it all. And and, it, and I'm telling you, players. You know, we talk about front offices dictating, controlling things so much nowadays. Players know. So you start. I've seen it before. You guys start making moves and, and or things that are dictate or that affect these guys' careers. You know, automatically they go. Oh, the front office is calling the shots, right? And so, and so, if a, if a manager is in a position mm-hmm. they think he can't make a decision, he's basically down here just as a puppet. You're done, man. That you can forget it, you know. But that, but that, the argument goes that way a lot, you know. Um, uh, so, and, and that's, uh, and then once you got a little fracturing like that, you can have all the talent in the world. But if guys, you know, they don't trust you, or they don't, they think you're a rat, whatever it is, you know, and things, you know, that's when the, the really talented teams go to crap, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or underachieve. So, you know, there's more to it than just throwing the guys out there, but it's. It's almost like managing, running your own family. You know, there's there's problems. There's gonna, you know, you got to put out the fires if you're the head of the household. You know, you, and they got to know. Uh, you got to keep that fine line. They got to know you're in charge, but yet, you know, they are the show. And you got to be smart enough as a manager and know that. You know. Well, a couple things. One, as someone who watched all those games, was that many of them, and remembers how often, especially that 2015 team, ran into it with other teams. I am shocked that those guys could be tough sometimes, Donaldson and Jose Bautista, that those two guys uh, would be, yeah, difficult guys at times uh, to relate to. Um, secondarily. Yeah, yeah. wild horses, man. Yeah, dude. <laughs> that, that, the funny thing about that team is everybody loved them here, right? We all loved them. You guys were the heroes. But to the rest of the baseball world, they must have hated your guys' guts. Like Jose Bautista complaining about every single call, Donaldson having the attitude that he had. Like that team had attitude. You guys were probably villains to the rest of baseball. And here we are going, you're the heroes. It's amazing to think about. Like, do you know how much people would have hated that Blue Jays team if you guys were the Yankees that year? (laughs) We'd remember you in infamy of just the most hateable team ever. And, you know, J.D., you know, I, I spent some time with the 86 Mets, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing, man. They had mm-hmm. a bunch of great players. The, the league despised them. You know, they, yeah. had, they, had, they had some renegades. <laughs> they had guys that had some problem past. Yeah. And, but one thing they did every day, man, is, you know what, they came to they came to beat you. They would fight among themselves. Mm-hmm. And everybody says, well, you got to have a uh, – you need a cohesive or a great clubhouse. And No, that's not true because in, in some of your better teams, nobody, a lot of people don't get along, right? Yeah. But – they they go out there and play together, and they got one thing on their mind is winning together, you know. And uh, but that you talk about dysfunction on that team, but in the rest of the league hated them. The 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 you know cities around the league hate them, except people in New York. Man, it was well, all that mattered. You know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, there's there's nothing like having a team like that. Well, one is you guys had just a, such an incredible offense. Where going to games and getting to watch was. Just so fun. The hot streaks, the trade deadline, all of it was just magic. That the city 
will, ah, man, it's, it's hard to even think it can ever be replicated, the playoffs, all of it. But yeah, having the guys who are your jerks, you know, it's your city's jerks, nothing better. Yeah. Nothing sweeter than seeing the other team unravel, having guys in their dugout yelling, getting upset. Oh, it's so sweet. It is one of the sweetest things that you can have as a fan. Great offense and a team that nobody else likes. So yeah, you were an yeah. accountable guy, right? You, you were someone that... I think did toe that line very well, clearly of being able to be relatable, being able to be friendly, but also holding your guys accountable. We know this because like, yeah, you scrapped a couple of your players. I wonder, was there anybody that you almost fought in your second turn as manager? Did I almost fought? Yeah. Did you almost have another dust up where you were like, no, that's the old Gibby. I got to retire that Gibby, but it came close. No, because you know what? Uh, uh, I was kind of hoping you. No, would. no, they, they, right. no. I, they, you know, because I, I, I butted heads with every one of those guys I just mentioned. You know, yep. uh, whether it was Jose or Josh or, you know, a lot of times. I, I, what changed a little bit is, is it wasn't out in the open, uh, the, uh, out in the middle of the field like it was my first go round yeah. with like Lily. You know, so it was you a feel a little bit, older too. You're like, I don't know if I got this in me anymore. <laughs> I don't know if I could beat Shea Hillenbrand's ass at this point in my life. Like, I mean, I gotta just, I just gotta cool it and with Jose Bautista in his physical prime. <laughs> hey, no, I, I figured hey, this this guy this guy thinks he can whip my ass. He better be able to because yeah. I'm 30 years older. <laughs> and if he can't, he's in big trouble. <laughs> oh, there's bats no, lying around. You know what, JD? It, it uh, you know when you're with these guys every day, right? You know, you, you the ups and downs. They, you know, they're under the gun. They're under the pressure. You know, they're dealing with. You know, they're, they're, they have families. They got to deal with all that those problems too. And and you know, big a great major league career like in other sports is very short lived, right? So they're gonna they want to maximize. You know what they're trying to do, and uh, and you know, and there's a lot of pressures go with that. You know, and then. Uh, uh, but you, you, the manager's got to keep them, keep them looking the straight ahead, you know, and uh, keep them focusing on the right thing. Put out fires amongst themselves, you know, in there, in there, and that's that's your job, you know. It's not all fun and games and easy like people think, but you know, because I guarantee you will not win with a bunch of choir boys. It just ain't gonna, it's just not, it won't happen, you know. Mm. Um, uh, so you know, you do, and, and you know, it makes makes it funner too when there's something. You know, you got things going on all the time. You know, in the, it, can't, it never gets bored. Put it that way. With, yeah. with Batista and Donaldson, Russell Martin, some of those guys, it never got boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't boring as a fan. I can tell you that much. It was definitely not. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely not boring as someone buying the tickets. It was definitely not boring. Uh, having fun at those games and yeah, especially in the playoffs. So this one's less fun. This one, it was not as, I wouldn't say this was boring either, but I, I can't help but feel like there's some parallels between this year's Blue Jays team and the group you guys had in 2013, where there's a bunch of turnover, some big trades and a year where there's a lot of expectation in this market. And I, I wonder how that hype feels when you're at camp and the things that you're looking for that year. Did did you have any feel for that team knowing that it was going to go that way? Were you as over-the-top optimistic as the rest of us were? Because I'm not saying that I think this year's team is going to be a disaster. I just always wonder how the pressure of that materializes early off and how important, you know, getting off on the right foot is for a team like this year's Blue Jays. Yeah, well, you know what? I, th- I think it was going to help this team, and, th- and they put together a really good team. You know, the front office really has. And, and uh, is 
you know, the fact they, they were in it last year. Yeah, it didn't end the way they wanted, you know, and, and uh, even the year before they, they won their 90 games and didn't get in, you know, and then so it's not like it's like uh, it's not like they're coming off a 500 year and they make all these moves. And uh, you remember back in my first year back when in 2013, yeah. uh, you know, they made, made the trades with the Marlins, you know, Burley, Jose Reyes, and brought in Dickey. And uh, and we were crowned champs for you. Everyone crowned right? you, man. You, I remember one article on ESPN that was projecting all the award winners in World Series. And it was like. I think you guys had three different guys that almost everyone universally was picking to win the Cy Young, like three different pitchers. <laughs> and yeah, you were, you were world series favorites just about across the board. I think I remember seeing some like Reyes MVP stuff. It was wild. Like, and I remember sitting there at my computer being like, yes, <laughs> this is so sweet to see this. This is the best thing ever. Uh, but yeah, that's what I'm saying is just the amount of hype and the amount of expectations. It's gotta be hard to ignore that stuff and not put that pressure on yourself at this point of the season. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, the point I'm trying to make is okay because we were we were coming up probably 500 years the year before. I don't oh, yeah. remember. No, that was my first year back. That was when they were having the John Farrell Red Sox deal. Yeah, but it was awful. You know, so yeah, so it wasn't. It, but this team now is kind of an established team, the Blue Jay team. Okay. You know, they're yeah. coming up a, a play. They got into the playoffs last year. It's always better too. You get to add some extra. I think it's great to add some extra wild cards. So that takes a little heat off of you, right? Yep. Um, but. Okay, so and they done it even the year before. They're very successful. They just missed out by a game. Yep. And uh, so I think going in, yeah, but they get they got some new faces, but the, the core guys, you know, are, are still there. You know, like Springer, Vladdy Jr., Bo, Bo. You know, uh, you know, so many of them. Manoa, Gosman. You know, it was like you know, so it was like be like Batista, Donaldson, and them, them, they're they're still there. And so, but you want, you know, you want the pressure, you want the expectations because, you know, it tells the baseball world thinks you're good. You know, it's not like so many years we go in and it's like, okay, your goal is to play 500 ball. That's no fun. You know, that's, that's, uh, um, but it, uh, there's, there's nothing like, you know, just watching your front office, you know, do some things to improve the team. I can remember if you, if you look back in, in 2015, the year we made it, right. Mm-hmm. Right around the uh, right around the the trade deadline, we were basically a 500 team. We were yeah. the best offense in the league by far, you know. But we stunk defensively. You know, our, our pitching was solid, but you know, Reyes had lost his range at shortstop. He couldn't move anymore. We were playing Danny Valencia, and Chris Calabello in left field, two first basemen. So that that wasn't working, you know. But so you, it just shows you you got to play defense too. You can't you know you can't overcome everything, right? And then, so in the but the year before in 2014, almost the identical record at the at the All Star break or at the trade deadline, and we didn't do anything because there was no money to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. Alex Anthop was the same the GM, and we talked about. It. I knew everything was going on, and then so we didn't make any deals. We were down in Houston, and then Batista and and uh, Casey Jansen was our closer. They came out and did an interview, and they're kind of popping off a little bit about we didn't do anything, blah blah blah, right? Oh, yeah, we remember. But there was no there was no money. Yeah. Right, they weren't going to give Alex any more money to do anything. So, okay, so we, we, you know, I mean, at that time too, we were like a game or two out of the wild card. But then we faded, you know. And so then, so Alex saved some money the next year, which was fifteen, just for that, for that, uh, in case that happened again, right? And then, of course, we go in. It's almost identical spot, you know. We're right there. I mean, we're we're you know hovering right, right there by at the wild card, you know, game out or something like that, on the same date. And now he pulled, you know, now he, now he's got some money left. So he basically could, he, he could, uh, had money to pay off David Price there, 
whatever is left of the salary that year. You know, Tulowitzki and Reyes would basically get washed. And then, you know, then he brought in Ben Revere and things like that. So now there's some money there, and he, and he made some moves, and it was like it, it, it woke up the, the, the bulk of them. They go, wow, they were serious here, right? And then nice. it just it was one of the it was one of those deals where everything just clicked, which is not doesn't always happen that quick. It was like a light switch, and man, we caught fire. We you know ran down the Yankees and all that, you know. But it just shows you that we we were in the two the, those two years, fourteen and fifteen, similar spots. Even with that, you know, even after bringing in Russell Martin and, and Donaldson that year, mm-hmm. at the trade deadline, we're still hovering around five hundred, right? But you could see we addressed an issue that had to be addressed, our team defense. And that, that made all the difference in the world. I thought Tulowitzki was the key to that the top trade, that, that thing, because he, he shored up our infield. You know, we had balls going through the infield. It shouldn't happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so that, that so I, you can almost take two identical years there. One, then, then one, some moves are made to, to improve the team, and the team takes off. The, the year before, there's no money there can't do anything and the team fizzles because there's no reinforcement like the other teams are doing. And, uh, but it, uh, so that the baseball, you know, you gotta, you can't be so, so talented in one, one area and neglect the other area. It just, it just bites you, you know? Uh, and so you look at this team, I, I think one, one thing they did, and we were, we even had this problem for a couple of years. We were so right-handed heavy in the, in the, uh, batting order. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, although we had so many great hitters, it makes it easier on the other team to uh, strategize, if you want to call it, against you. You know, you, they start rolling their pitching staff. And most most bullpens might have one, or definitely have one, but two at the most left-handers. You got all your good righties out there, so you can just run them over and over because you got no lefties in the lineup. So they address that, I think, by bringing in, you know, bringing in Varsho and Kiermaier, and they balanced out their lineup there, you know. And then, uh, you know, they uh, – you know, then then they they added to their their bullpen. You know, they uh, brought in Swanson. You know, of course, he gave up to Oscar. Yeah. But Barsh Barshow and and you look at Barsh's year last year, Tay Oscar's year, almost identical. You know, so they're they're uh, they're kind of uh, that's kind of a wash if it if it turns out the same way. And so they uh, yeah they address their needs, which is important. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it should it should make them better. And and you know they 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 believe in themselves. They've been there, done it. That goes a long way. Now they still have to play in the American League East, which is no uh, no no fun. Uh, yeah, but, not a treat. Yeah, it's, it's not a treat. You know, though I think that's a really great point you make about where your team was at even before the turnover in from 2012. Because I think you guys won 70. Uh, the, the Jays won 72 or 73 games in 2012, and then you guys only ended up winning one more game the following season, the 2013 year where it was just, yeah, it was tough. It was, but yeah, that point of just already having some ownership and seeing success and not trying to make this incredibly massive leap is huge. Um, two is just when you talk about Tulowitzki and adding him to that team, I think what you're hoping to see with the Jays this year is kind of a similar thought with where their outfield was at last year. The defense was really, really tough. Um, I, I liked those players a yeah. lot. I really enjoyed watching Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., but man, there. I think one of the things that stopped uh, Teoscar Hernandez for being loved the way that Edwin Encarnacion was was just those like once a week there'd be that play in the outfield where everyone would have to go like, oh man, how that yeah, like oh, how, yeah. how that one Teo, please for the love yeah. of God. Hey, you know, I was there when I was there when we when they traded for Teoscar. Yeah, wonderful guy. I, I I don't think I've ever seen a player have more easy power than this guy right. Oh, in the, that's it. You know, and his defense, believe it or not, came a long way 
from when he first showed up with us. Sure. You know, I mean, he, he was shaky out there. You know, he worked his butt off trying to do it, but he's never going to be a, uh, uh, you know, he's gold glover. That's just no. not going to happen. But yeah. now you put Springer over and right, you got Kiermaier in center, and you got Marshall at left, or however, and you got some, you know, some other pieces to spell him or whatever you want to do. That's pretty darn good outfield, you yeah. know. And in, in, in the, uh, you know, but just like I said, in fifteen, when our defense was shaky, you can't overcome that every night, you know. And in uh, this way, that's so. I think the front office did a great job, uh, you know, um, shoring that up. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Addressing what they thought was, you know, where they needed to improve. You know. Yeah, boy, that must probably a pretty quick meeting with you and Alex in the 2015 when they were bringing you in, going, "What do you think about David Price and Troy Tulowitzki?" You were like, "Yeah, that's." You guys have a long chat about that one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's really. It was one of those, hey, show me, don't tell me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, uh, let's have a real powwow about this. Let's discuss the pros and cons for the next three hours. Yeah, no, you're in and out. (laughs) That was a good one. Hey, Gibby, again, congrats on the book. The book is called Gibby, Tales of a Baseball Lifer. You can pre-order now. It's available wherever books are sold. It's out April 4th. Um, Go grab yourself a copy. John Gibbons, former Blue Jays manager. Thanks for making the time today, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, J.D., good talking to you, pal. Always, man. There you go. It's John Gibbons. Um... Yeah, I hope that they get there with some of the managerial stuff, just in terms of, I think that there's a balance to be to be had between these two things. Numbers are great. Same thing I was talking about with Myrtle today. It's not gospel. It's closer to in baseball, straight up. You're going to have just a, a way better opportunity to come up with a formula that is successful. Yeah. But man, oh man, I just, this is the market inefficiency, I'm telling you, is letting just people do their jobs. Yes, Austin, we are going to break. Don't worry about it. Quick break. Let's come back. Let's wrap this sucker up. Sportsnet 590. All right. Austin was being serious about this because we're getting only a couple minutes here. Pete Walker. What do we miss? Uh, Today is the final day in Toronto history, JD, to buy a TTC token. Mm. Um, Not sad at all. Not sad. No. What are you talking about? You've (laughs) you've moved on to Presto completely? Well, yeah, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I can't even imagine going up to that thing and dropping. The only thing I miss about it is it made stealing so easy. Is you could just if you didn't have a token, you could just dime. drop a diamond and yep. it was like boom, gone. Uh, or just a, the old mitt full of change. Trying to, I I miss those days <laughs> a little bit. I miss the memes that would come off of the people who would steal the subway token. Now it's just not the same. Uh, it's not you the can same. double up, but it's like whatever. That's you still. It's yeah. All. Well, believe uh, it or not. Presto now accounts for over 90% of yeah. TTC riders. No, that's still 10%. Yeah, there's 10% of the grinders out there that are still, you know, grinding. <laughs> Here's the thing. You won't be able to buy the tokens, but there's still going to be a ton in circulation for yeah. whatever. They'll drop them in. They They'll still, still be around. Currency. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, no, I just, whenever I would buy Subway tokens, I would think, how many greasy mitts has this been in? How much? <laughs> they used oh. to say that there was always a little bit of... Actually, I don't want to really go down. There's a little fecal battle around just like oh, everything what? you touch okay. it. Yeah, it's like I always oh. think about with the tokens. Going into shady convenience stores, always. That was like big business. We have Subway tokens. And you go, yep, I'll see you soon. I'll see you in there. Uh, convenience store I never would have gone into for any other reason. So, no. RIP Subway tokens. You will not be missed as yourself. But I will miss the old dime drop. Mm-hmm. The old triple D. Dime, drop, dash (laughs) into the subway and feeling like you made it free commute today. Nice. 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 
So what's next? Uh, so yesterday, uh, a, man, a man named Ken Francis was paged by the NFL for allegedly reaching out to NFL teams and mm-hmm. talking on Lamar Jackson's behalf. Um, NFL teams could be fined up to $50,000 for talking to him, and the NFL just paged him on Twitter and said, this man is not a certified agent. Uh, do not talk to him. I have nothing to say to this. You have nothing to say to this? <laughs> no, I feel bad for my brother and all Ravens fans for, yeah. because the Lamar thing is just spinning out of unbelievable <laughs> control. There's clearly some collusion stuff going on with him. Uh, it's, like it's getting ugly and now it's getting so ugly that it's like screwing with the way that fans perceive him and remember him, all that different stuff. Anyway, subscribe to the podcast, leave five stars, uh, leave a comment on iTunes. If you like the show, I always appreciate that. And plus that's just a nice deed for the day. It can be done very, very quickly. If you see the tweet, share the podcast, tell a friend, do all those nice things. Have a lovely weekend. Welcome.